back to the Vulture Club with Jen O'Dwyer and me, Sophie White, delivering you pop culture commentary and general shite talkery every week. Coming up in today's show, in Come Again this week, we discuss the uh, ethics of leaving the German Big Brother contestants in the dark for so long about the pandemic brewing just beyond the walls of their confinement. Um, in Today I Learned, Jen has whimsy and I have bleakness, only bleakness. Later in the show, we chat to Cassie Delaney, uh, Rogue co-founder and podcast producer, uh, all about crafting your way through anxiety. Now, this interview was recorded two weeks ago in an act of frankly incredible prescience, um, more relevant than ever. And lastly, later in the show, we chat bed in or bin it. It's the part of the show where Jen and I give you our weekly culture recommendations. I chat the long read profile with Fiona Apple that appeared on The New Yorker this week. And Jen has a Netflix series to get stuck into. Here we are from our homes. We are recording remotely. Do not panic. We are maximum social distancing. We're about, I'd say, 10 kilometers apart. Is that how far apart we live? 10 kilometers. Yeah, it could be about that. If only that was the distance. It, do, do you think you'd like to be solely alone in this time? Mm, no. I've got to say, yeah. But then I can see that there is no you ideal. Would. You're, yeah, there's two, you're at two extremes. It's exactly. Here. Like, there's no there's happy an medium. ideal of... There is. There's a few pets. Yeah. You you and a few animals, like a small zoo. <laughs> like Arnold Schwarzenegger. For an extended. <laughs> Did you see him What's this that? week? Is it a movie called The Small no. Zoo? Arnie's got like a little zoo of kind of mini horses in his home in California. Yes. And he um, did a very comforting address on guy. Twitter this week. Is he surrounding himself with animals of a miniature variety in order to make himself appear larger? Oh, my think? God. You've cracked it. Oh, my God. That explains it, so he has much. A, does he have several miniature versions of regular-sized animals? Or regular animals, but they're miniature versions. <laughs> I want to read, like, some like teacup long form in the cut um, about this exact theory. This is... It is. He, he, I think you've hit on he something. He obviously has kind of a kind of absolute obsession with being. He also shared recently um, photographs of his, his himself. He probably was in his early 20s. It could have been late teens doing an at home gym thing using kind of chairs and brooms and things to lift himself up and mm. over as kind of a kind of, you know, to, you know, stimulate all of us to be doing a bit of at home action. But the, his, the incredible specimen of a human being. Do you think genetically speaking, he was sort of predisposed to being this super muscle man? You know, those cows that they breed, so it's the bulls. Oh, yeah. It's a special. I don't know whether it was a, it was a genetic experiment or something, but have you seen photographs of them? They are rippled. In the, they look like uh, mutant bulls that have muscle upon muscle upon muscle. And I think they are an experiment when I, and of kind of to what degrees can inbreeding kind of produce this whatever they want to particularly focus on so if it's muscle building or you know have I lost no, completely no, have I lost no. you I'm, I'm I lost so you? with you and I am staring at a very muscly bull a bull that is so you muscular are, it, it actually looks like it might be yeah. impeding its life like there is muscles now, on this it animal its like I, like his neck his the top of his head seems to have this enormous muscle that is borderline growth. Oh my god, yeah, I've never so seen the, anything like it. Shocking pick of what's, muscle why, bound. Why do they bull. exist? Sparks a roid row online says <laughs> none other than the sun. Um Jesus Christ, this bull is fucking ripped. <laughs> <laughs> this muscle bull is a gift. Thank you for thank you for alerting me to this. 
this I've never heard of them how have I never heard of them now I want them to do this with other animals like I want a muscle cat I want to see what a muscle cat might look like no what you want is a multi-breasted chicken (laughs) oh no On Come Again this week, um, a few days ago, uh, my favourite 90s heartthrob, Jared Leto, a.k.a. Jordan Catalano, for any of my so-called life fans out there, um, tweeted and shared with his 10 million Instagram followers the following. Wow. 12 days ago, I began a silent meditation in the desert. We were totally isolated. No phone, no communication, etc. We had no idea what was happening outside the facility. Walked out yesterday into a very different world. One that's been changed forever. Now, all of the above, I mean, apart from being on a silent, you know, retreat, all of the above, totally fine. The next line absolutely killed me. Mind blowing, to say the least. I don't know why. I just keep thinking he sh- it should have been mind blown to say the least. But mind blowing. It's just I understand what he means, but it's just tickling me so much. He can he continues on. I'm getting messages from friends and family all around the globe and catching up on what's going on. Hope you and yours are okay. Sending positive energy to all. Stay inside, stay safe. What? I mean mind blowing to say the least. Well, it, 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 this is a classic example of the how celebrity. irrelevant the celebrities have become. Yes, I know it's harsh, but totally. it's like everything, like every way that they're interacting with this pandemic is just so highlighting the differences in our realities. So, like, I mean, I know that there's nothing wrong with going on a silent retreat. I mean, and normal, you know, civilians go on silent retreats too. But there's just something so yeah, Jared Leto about brag. it. And it's, yes, it is. Oh, isn't he the man stuck under a rock 28 days <laughs> before I gnaw through my own no. wrist? Some, some no, shirt. no, that was, um, <laughs> that was. Is that just an entirely different actor? It was actor? an entirely different actor. The other, he's another unbearable be? prick. Look what identical. the hell is his name again? Oh my god! People are shouting Same, it at their podcast. Just insert. Oh my god! Yes, insert. Uh, insert handsome white man's face this here. Is killing me. Um, I hate him so much, but I can't remember his name. He. So this is fucking hilarious. So Jared Leto, what was he doing meditating in the in the desert for twelve days? And he j- is that that's just what he wanted to tell us. Yeah. That he had been meditating in the desert silently for 12 days. I suppose, days. though, Nothing if about he had just tried to keep that part vague, it might have sounded suspicious. So maybe he had to say what exactly it had been do- done. James Franco! <laughs> James Franco, same Killing difference. Me. I mean, for God's sake, there is no difference between those two human beings. <laughs> I think Jared Leto the very same isn't thing. as bad. As James Franco. It's like when people try to tell you this is a different type of tomato than the tomato you've just eaten. And you're like, yes, but they come under the same bracket of tomato. You're right. And I expect you somehow to get excited by, you know, a slightly variant shade or, or, or shape. You know what? But it's still This has just brought me down a weird line of inquiry. But you're so right. They are the same person. They have even both dated Lana Del Rey. Like, she just has a specific taste. That is so specific. In tomatoes. They are the same man. Mm. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's it's really highlighting just how celebrity living differs from our own. Um, You know, they're like, I don't know, like they could equally have just been like, I'm sorry, I've just been holidaying on my island. And I didn't, I've just come back from my island and didn't realise all this was going on. And none of my staff have informed yes. me. Uh, it's the same. So we're getting all these tips and like home tricks from uh, very, very rich people in their extremely large houses as well. Uh, telling us how to keep sane and keep indoors. Um, just maybe do the indoor pool and then the outdoor pool after. Maybe only have one massage a day <laughs> to keep the contact level low. Uh, just keep the staff, the house staff to kind of skeleton staff. <gasps> Um, 
it's just so fucking I'd annoying. Say, it's so annoying. I'd say they are really, really... Nobody's fallen further than the celebrities because the staff must be either live-ins and therefore they're self-isolating together or they have actually yeah. disappeared. I love them all calling <laughs> each other. entirely. And broadcasting the oh calls. God. Like, it's an assumption that of their own relevance that is repellent. Like Ellen DeGeneres <laughs> Can I ask, calling was it? John Legend. Oh, yeah. oh God. And J- Justin Timberlake and Chrissy Teigen and, and like allowing them, allowing us into that. I've, as I was saying that sentence, I was like, gifting us. Is, you, you're describing podcasting, Sophie. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not Ellen DeGeneres. Well, no, that's true. No, I know that, but I mean, like, thinking, it's like thinking your own conversation has relevance. Oh, sorry, sorry, you're extremely correct to, there. I may have to cut you this. Have described <laughs> but listen, if you're listening, then you're just you're enjoying it, maybe. Or someone's accidentally played it in the back of round and it's just an annoying noise, in which case, Hi. hello, welcome. <laughs> but but yeah, you're right, you're right, you are totally right. But it's annoying because they're very yes. rich. Back to That's that. That's what's annoying. They have so much at their disposal. And we are able to Amazing. see it now. Good for them. And then they're giving us tips about how to survive it, which is annoying. Or they're singing songs oh, to us, which is so annoying. The sincere singing. Why? Why are they doing it's, that? It's so sad because in one fell swoop, I turned on so many of my favorite celebrities just over. It was immediately over for me. Like uh, Kirsten Wig, I who really was, who? couldn't believe that she was involved. Genuinely. Fuck, I, I have a love that. for is her. Is that the Imagine That's the Imagine thing? one, yeah. Was she not doing it in a joking way? Well, no, it was sincere. It was extremely sincere. Now, maybe some, maybe if you knew her in life, you'd be looking at that and going like, ah, Kristen's, <laughs> that's like her taking the piss. Don't worry. Taking the piss. I couldn't tell. I could not tell. Um, but it was very upsetting to me, obviously. Um, on the Jared Leto thing, but uh, not mm. the only public figure who was completely unaware of the global pandemic. We obviously had the... Um, German, the participants of the German Big Brother um, this week uh, were were completely unaware of the outbreak literally until two days ago. Um, And there was 14 contestants in the house. And um, like a big hoopla had uh, broken out on social media about the (laughs) ethics of not telling them. So they it's really only through public pressure that the production, like when I, we don't know what they were planning to do, the production company, but it definitely didn't mm. seem like they were making any moves to tell them until there was an outcry on social media. Um, and to, to tell, tell them. Because it felt perverse watching them all oh, just completely around the house. Can you imagine it? And it's been more than a month since those 14 um, people entered the Big Brother house. And um, they, so when they walked in, we were only hearing the first cases um, that were appearing beyond Wuhan. And uh, now Germany has 6,000 cases, I think, about. And, like, definitely deaths in the teens, I think. And um, so, so I think it's, like, a fascinating one because the producers decided, OK, we better do the right thing here by these 14 people. We don't know anything about their extended families. We don't know if they have at-risk relatives. Obviously, it's um, mm-hmm. it's perverted and fucked up to make them like the puppets uh, and kind of out of the loop and broadcast them to millions. Um, but uh, while we're going to do the right thing, we're going to do it the wrong way. And so they opted to like screen it live them being told about the pandemic. Again, what What the hell? And did you watch it? (laughs) So I actually went to several places to watch it and it had been removed from some, uh, it had been removed from YouTube several times, I think. So So presumably they thought initially, oh, this is one of those big brother... Hoaxes. So exactly... Yeah, in the late 2010s, the English Big Brother did an epidemic hoax on the no. housemates. No. Yes. So 
I've been looking for I've been trying to find any good article on it. But uh, to be honest, the search results are drowned in the current Big Brother epidemic uh, scenario. And I couldn't actually find anything good. But I just remember that basically they were issued gas masks. Um, and. And like they, they were sort of told that there had been a big outbreak and that everywhere like res- resources were dwindling, the health services were ailing and that the producers had managed to source six gas masks. Um, but there was obviously 10 contestants in the house <laughs> and they shit. turned it into but some kind of Hunger Gamesian nightmare. But that's the whole of Big Brother was all based around a Hunger Games nightmare. <laughs> I think it's one of the things we'll look back and we are already looking back on. on We're like looking that, sideways at it right and now. being like, what no, it's still hell? over there. It's yeah. still happening real time. Yeah. It's and now they're exactly. fucking with people in such a weirdly like lasting way. Like as in this is a PTSD in the making. So they were filmed being told and they were sort of shown like some housemates were crying after they were shown a video that kind of caught them up on the video were they shown um, just like a a montage of all the horrific news. Yeah, they were shown a news special and then they were um, allowed to ask questions to the show's resident doctor uh, from behind a glass screen and then they yeah. watched video messages from their relatives um like the relatives recorded these vid- uh, video messages like trying to keep it cheery um and kind of being like oh you're probably in the safest place in germany and uh oh will you bring some uh loo roll back with you when you're coming <laughs> but like ha, one ha, contestant ha. said her mother had a lung condition and was like understandably devastated uh it's totally wrong i mean they should call off the show i mean come on i i do they i possibly... agree with that except that i guess are they like well it's we like what the fuck people need well, no it's it's income it's people's jobs but equally it's at the cost of like these I 14 so. individuals who are now being forced to like live out the trauma on with the show it's very strange i don't know if it will continue like um the um there was four residents brought in more recently like you know the way they're always fecking around here's some new people because you know ratings are falling and they brought in four new contestants um on the 9th of march instructing them not to talk about uh covid19 that's even isn't it when the 9th of march but shouldn't things hadn't really kicked off by then? No. Uh, well, you know? it was kind of starting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. Okay. But um, it's like we were still meeting to record. It was still kind of ha- we a were of meeting, joke, you know? but we were like, like hand sanitizing and yeah, and, and like not yeah. hugging hello. But it was definitely not like we were still getting mm. coffees and you know. I don't know why that's like my barometer for normality is getting takeaway coffees. But um, yeah, the production, everything you want uh, the production team were like, oh, well, we have rules, you see. So usually housemates would only be informed about the outside world if there was a death of a close friend or relative. <laughs> and I remember, I, I know that. Sure, it's happened before. Yeah. Do you not remember when... Um, David Bowie died and his ex-wife was in the Celebrity Big Brother house. Still, it's some of the greatest television still that's ever been video recorded. But there was another David, David Furnish, who now is dead. Wait, David Furnish? Is he not Elton John's husband? No, sorry. Sorry, it's not him. Definitely not him. Uh, Different David of a celebrity variety. Had some connection to Michael Jackson. Can't remember who he is. Stop, David Guest, Jennifer. De- yes, oh sorry. So, look at David. A David. I know, but like David so, Guest. David Bowie died in while everyone was in the house. Your one got news, the ex-wife, because she was, you know, an ex-member of the family. So she came out of the house, started wailing, screaming that David is dead. Another contestant thought it was David, celebrity David, who is currently in the house, had died. 
And so ensued the most hysterically funny but bad piece of television that's ever happened. It was brilliant. Can I recommend everybody <laughs> go immediately now? Just as a lift, if you pick just me need up a and lift, go watch that. Get over there. Hysterically funny. Well, incredibly though, yeah. this Big Brother issue um, wasn't uh, only German-based. Apparently, the Canadian Big Brother contestants um, were also quite slow to be told, Canada. and so they um, they had stopped having live audiences at the eviction nights. Uh, do you know the way they always come out of the house to a live audience? And the, the contestants who were yeah. remaining inside the house noticed that they couldn't hear a live audience. Um, <gasps> yeah, and they were like pondering it on camera from inside the house. And like one of the contestants was like, oh, maybe maybe the house is soundproofed or, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, they... That is so They weird. have continued to broadcast... On. And they informed since then, they informed all the housemates um, about the COVID-19 and uh, and that their family members were OK. And they then gave them the option of staying or not. And the housemates opted to remain in the show, which is um, interesting. Mm. So it's I a very know, wild I mean, knock on effect would. that we couldn't have anticipated what is COVID-19 doing to our reality shows? Like, are the Kardashians well, self-isolating into a reality and show. producing a series? Or what's the plan? But in a way, they have always been... Like, celebrities, don't they sort of naturally self-isolate because of all the... So you know, true. That's part of being a celebrity. So have we all individually turned to celebrities in our own homes? Each house now is a reality TV show waiting to happen. <laughs> Like, I'm pretty sure the whole concept is just Big Brother. <laughs> Stay inside your homes, no outside contact. I mean, it's, we're, we're living. The world has become an episode, a series of Big Brother. Today I Learned. This is the This Week or Today I Learned section. Um... We mean so you were texting me. I have an uplifting kind of list of factoids. Okay. Sophie, I, you have something too? I have something from the bottom of the depths of hell. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, Give honestly, this might be something absolutely everyone knew about, but I did not. <laughs> so did you know there was an outbreak of flu at the end of World War One? Yeah, Spanish flu, 1918. <laughs> this was brand new information to me. Well, not that it was brand new information to me, but I never knew about the death toll, which was 50 million. And did you see this and think that now is a great was time a to time tell everyone? To tell everybody yes. about your finding out about the Spanish <laughs> yes. flu. Oh, absolutely. Wiped out how many? It wiped out more than a million people? 50, more? Jen. 50 million people. Five zero. I'm really yeah. hammering it home. Like I, um, I just, uh, I just never heard of it. And just if we want to really underscore the bleakness, this was before people were just flying back and forth around the world on the daily. Oh, I'm going to have to really dig deep to try and uplift whatever is coming know, next. I'm... As you dig us deeper into the misery hole. <laughs> I can't, this is brilliant. Did you just discover about the Spanish flu this week? <laughs> like, how did you avoid knowing about it? Honestly, I just have very niche interests and I burrow deep on things I'm interested <laughs> in and then like very basic stuff will completely pass me by. I'm very, very embarrassingly bad on geography. I thought Lisbon <laughs> was in Argentina. It's, I thought Argentina was in Europe. And I thought Europe Not great. was to the left of Canada. <laughs> All, All wrong. wrong. It's embarrassing. Okay, give us something good. Give us a happy today I learned. I'll tell you. Here's a small little nugget. Uh, did you know a single banana is called a banana, but a bunch of bananas is called a hand <gasps> of bananas? No, 
I Is that didn't. Not fucking hilarious. That is brilliant. Yep, there's 75% water, high in potassium. Very good for you. Very good. Can it help aid in sleeping? A hand of bananas. Did you know that? Is a joyful image. Isn't that good? Oh my God. I mean, they're I wanted- amazing. They can be more effective than sports drinks for replenishing your electrolytes after <laughs> exercise. Altogether, massively uh, are you working strengthens your immune system improves your are you skin. working for big banana jen i'm working for big <laughs> bananas i have big banana energy today i'm just it's a cluster of bananas and it's called a hand i have a hand of bananas either side of me okay why are you here, Cassie? I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> I am here to make some low budget but highly entertaining podcasts for people. Um, I am here. Yeah, I, I don't know. So <laughs> this yeah. is Cassie Delaney. She is the voice of many podcasts that you may adore. And she is the production of many more. So you produce co- podcasts. I produce podcasts and I am an avid crafter, perpetually anxious millennial. Yes. Uh, so one of the co-founders of Rogue, Cassie Delaney, has a monthly column on roguecollective.ie called, brilliantly, DIY Are We All Here? Yes. So basically my idea for this column was to have an avenue, I suppose, to write about the things that I think about, observations, and to couple it with the craft. So I found that my mind often goes to places wandering. And I calm that mind with some lovely DIYs. Um, And it's also got me thinking about things like friendship and life and just goals and all that kind of stuff in general. And I try and tie the craft into the thing that I'm thinking about. Um, She knits it in. I knit it in. Thematically. And it's been really enjoyable because I am coming up with new patterns, coming up with new projects and sharing them with people. And there's been a really good response to them. Someone, someone made my hat. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Exciting. Yeah. See, that's how I feel when people make my recipes. Yeah. It's so, it's a connection. It's such a thrill. Yeah. yeah. And because especially with like crafting patterns or recipes, even if recipes are adapted from somewhere else, you're like, I, I did, I created that thing and I made it. And then someone else is using it to make their lives better. Like in this coronavirus outbreak, someone made emergency cookies and they said, if this isn't an emergency, I don't know what is. <laughs> now, those cookies aren't going to cure the virus, but they will make you feel better. And they're still there on site. If you're looking for emergency cookies, roguecollective.ie. Uh, my, um, I would say, fuck everything fudge is over there as well. <laughs> There's some great stuff. And I'm currently um, reworking my bean recipe to be able to produce en masse. So it's like, how can you get the maximum amount of beans in the minimum time frame? Is this for freezer stocking? This is for freezer stocking. Obviously, immediately went to what recipes do I have that I can cook and stock in my freezer for three months? Because, um, yeah, we were doing our, our shopping and Lydia only wanted to purchase potato related products and she would die of malnourishment sooner than die of the virus. Just constipated, I'd say. Yeah, that's it. It would just be, in, just be in a hard place to be. Um, but yeah, give her some roughage. So can I ask, when did crafting begin for you? Well, I've always kind of crafted. Like I actually spoke about this in an episode of Giovanelli at Plug um, <laughs> about how growing up, my mother always encouraged us to be creative. So like if there was a thing we saw on Art Attack, she would go and buy us the supplies. Like there is still industrial sized bags of clay under my stairs at Knockline. And um, yeah, so it was always very hands on. And then we had after school art classes. And then when I got too old for those, the teacher asked me to be her art assistant. So it was like ingrained in me from a really young age. It was always do something with your, you know, do something with your hands. And my Nana was not necessarily crafty, but very DIY savvy. Like she Mm. would paint her own ceiling. She reupholstered her own couch. She was always making, yeah, like, and I did a reupholstery course about two years ago. Not easy. It ain't easy. It is not easy. And you know what? It's you not know what? that it's even fun. harder when you don't have a course behind you. Yeah, it's, <laughs> but there is actually no rhyme or reason to the course. It's just, you just, they hand you the chisel and the thing to take out the staples and they're like, take it off. And then you make something to put back on again. They like make it afresh. You, yeah, fix where the holes are in the foam or you buy a new foam and you just <laughs> make the thing to go over it again. Just. Try not get any wrinkles in it and match up your patterns. Um, so, yeah, my Nana was always very crafty and she taught me to sew really young when 
and she gave me a Singer sewing machine, but it was one of those like wind up wheelie ones. Oh, nice. Yeah. Like a now really we're not nice talking foot pedal. We're no. talking about a hand crank. So it makes your sewing one handed. Yeah. Which is really, really difficult because you're using one hand. You're, I suppose you're probably your less dominant hand to work the wheel. Mm. That's weird because no, I would it. guide yeah, no, with yeah. my left hand. So yeah, guiding with your less dominant hand and using your uh, dominant hand to crank the wheel. Um, and controlling it. And I remember that. I loved that. It was actually. But you know that you can practically sew no handed. Yeah. If you line like, it up properly. If you line it up. Yeah. yeah. It kind of draws it through on its own. Yeah. And but then, I know what you mean. It is tricky. You yeah. want that extra hand. And um, she taught me how to. Or she attempted me how to knit. To teach me how to knit. But I never really picked it up. Now I'm going to go back to it. I do have knitting needles that I bought pre-crisis. Okay, in so. an attempt to uh, to teach myself. I did. A couple of years ago, take it up again and get to the stage where I can do a swatch, you know, a, a kind of a square. Yeah. But uh, I found my passion in crochet. You know, calling a square a swatch does make it sound more impressive. It does, yeah. <laughs> I was like, if a I, swatch? If, if I knit enough like, wait, swatches. I think she means 10 centimeters by 10 yeah, centimeters. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if I knit enough swatches, that's a that's a quilt, like, practically. That's how every quilt starts. Um, so, yeah. And then, thing, yeah, just things like, I mean, we're constantly, uh, my older brother was very crafty as well, very artistic. So, like, we constantly had supplies of PVA glue and whatever. And my mom minded kids. So it was just a kind of, I think, an activity to do pre, um, you know, TV and Netflix when we were younger. So, yeah, it was always there. And then, obviously, just as you get later into life, um, I suppose the need for DIY is there. Like we moved into uh, an old house last over 18 months ago and there's been a couple of like little projects that we've done, some upcycling of furniture and that kind of thing. Um, and it's just I just find it so therapeutic. Like I remember when I was doing my leaving cert art exam and going in and locking myself you know that you have to sit and do like a life drawing for like a couple of hours or a still yeah, life still life or something yeah and like going into my room and putting on music and a disc man or one of those old like I didn't have an iPod it was like the purple Sony mini mp3 player oh yeah I know I just skipped mini discs entirely um and going in and putting on music the killers and drawing and I remember how meditative that felt at the time mm. and then re um refinding that later particularly in the last kind of two years since running a business the anxiety can be pretty high pretty intense I think that that meditative thing is the flow state yeah that you get when you're playing as a child and when you're crafting as an adult and there's virtually nothing else that produces yeah, the flow it's state. It was definitely, I suppose, you know, loads of people say they get it in yoga or in sport or in running or whatever. Mm. Never get it in running. Like, yeah, I kind of get it in yoga, but towards the end, I'm like, when is this over? Yeah, like this... Uh, vinyasana is stressing me out yeah now. or you're like going into it being like okay I'm gonna go flow I'm gonna be in it and then you're, you're overthinking <laughs> it you don't get into it but with crafting particularly ones where you're doing the same action over and over again like knitting or crochet or even embroidery is a little different because you have to I suppose concentration on your particular pattern but when you're doing like those repetitive muscle memory movement mm. I just get into the flow state much better and it's a really important thing to do now I think because there's so many things that can break that flow state like a notification on your phone Absolutely. something on the tv and like when I craft I get into it like I almost stop hearing people around me you know I'm really focused on it and that's yeah that's where my nice meditative state comes from and I just think everybody everyone I know I always recommend crafts to people I think a lot of DIY are we all here is about giving people easy craft projects that they can try at home mm. but crafting obviously isn't for everyone but like trying to find that flow state activity whether it's a jigsaw or something else or coloring which yeah had yeah. a big moment a few years ago I find that like I can so my big one is knitting as you know because mm -hmm. we're very uh, close craft friends um, and I find that like knitting will quell that free floating anxiety that you know we can just all be operating. It's yeah. kind of like a low level. It's like having a bad humming going on in your yeah. head. And I think knitting can really like um, kind of neutralize that a bit for me. So I'd often knit while doing 
Well, virtually everything. Like it's, I'll knit while I talk, I knit while I read, yeah. watch TV. And it's just like occupying that sort of anxious energy and funneling it the fuck away from my kind of consciousness. Yeah. It's and it's great. funny, I think we're missing things like that. Like I will crochet while I'm editing, um, mm. which is lovely. And actually doing something with your hands over here, I find increases your brain energy over here. So if I'm yeah. editing a podcast when I'm knitting or crocheting, I'm fo- more focused on what that is saying and picking it up a lot easier than if I'm just sitting there on my computer doing it and an email comes in or totally. something happens on or the phone. Or you're suddenly on Instagram. Yeah. Like, like that's what that's happens to me all the time. I'm like, wait, I didn't even launch the I app. Don't, yeah, I don't Suddenly I'm on it. <laughs> and I think it, 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 um, it, I think crafting and DIY is having a resurgence because it really, um, it's really, I suppose it is the, the an- antidote, anecdote, antidote Antidote, to where we are culturally and that's I obviously because I run a digital business spend a lot of time monitoring online trends and uh, behaviors and the psychology around the internet behavior and where we have been for the last year or two is the majority of people like 60 as high as kind of 67 people reporting this feeling of hyper connectivity yeah which is a feeling of always being on and the anxiety that comes from that that there's no you know I, it's hard to even remember it but there was a day when people left work and they weren't accessible and they left school and they weren't contactable unless you called your friends on a house phone or you called around to their houses whereas now like this kind of hyper connectivity this always on thing means that we're always available to people which means we never have a break from mm. our problems or stresses or anxieties and our baseline of alertness is just is constantly activated yeah yeah. And it's that kind of like that tension that you hold in your body being prepared to go into, you know, go into battle, go into a discussion or something. Um, so having having a, a something that slows us down or, mm. um, you know, can can neutralize that, I think, is why so many people are turning to crafting or uh, slow moving hobbies now, yeah. which is great to see you know Ashton Keenan's piece on Rogue Collective um a couple of weeks ago about the kind of always onness was yeah. really really interesting and good on that and I felt really like oh that's what's wrong with me yeah it's the, <laughs> the permanent availability thing mm. like you shouldn't be disposable to people all the time and I think because you know culturally everyone is hyper connected turning around and saying, actually, I just don't want to be contacted mm. or I'm not available during these times now is, you know, abnormal. Well, it's an anathema. Yeah. Nobody, yeah. even like people who turn their reds off. Cassie Delaney is sitting opposite me. Um, I had to because of a project. <laughs> I had to because of a very specific client. But so. it's funny because people who turn their reds off, as in on WhatsApp, mm-hmm. so you can't it doesn't go blue tick uh, whatever you know you can't monitor when they've received your message like it was interesting to me I was like this is producing an, a reaction in me that this other person has chosen to be unavailable and it's completely in their right yeah, to be unavailable should... and I was going wow I need to analyze this why do I think she, like whoever it is it's actually not you that by the way that initially um, <laughs> I just noticed recently that you have yeah it is a recent thing but I highly recommend it oh well absolutely and I highly recommend if you're finding yourself irritated by somebody else's reds being off you need to look at yourself Sophie and it is with very the reds being off it made is me another... examine my relationship with the phone too yeah and it's a really good thing because um it also takes away your when you were last online. So like you basically don't everyone get, needs it to turn it yeah, off. Yeah, <laughs> but you don't get to have a comment on like, you know, when someone decides to go to bed or not or whatever. And I remember like when I was a manager and someone was sick and you'd be like last online at like 4 a.m. You're like, that's dodgy. But I was like, that is such a violation of someone's personal space. I don't give a shit when they were last online. Yeah. And I think that like I went through a a period last year as well where I was entirely kind of offline. I deleted my Instagram um, and that changed my relationship with the Internet massively. I came back onto Instagram because I wanted somewhere to post my DIYs. And now (laughs) it's tedious for me to like post things, but I don't feel the same urgency like I did before. Having the Tall Tales Instagram account and not posting anything to it used to give me fill me with anxiety because I just never found the time and I was like oh it's such a I should do something that's on brand I should be doing this Mm. and it used to just be another 
like mountain in my work week. Whereas now I'm just like, look, crack it. If it's if it's not there, it's not there. Yeah. (laughs) And then, I, you know, there's a a great we're kind of going off topic from DIYs here, but there's a great school of thought from um, in business as well that like a lot of businesses jump in and they like put loads of stuff up on their social media and people do it as well when they're building a brand. But like it goes back to, you know, the the saying is you do the offline and people other people will do the online. So if you do what if you do you, you do your product, you do your your writing or your whatever Mm. properly other people will talk about it and look after the social media for you. So that's the kind of where I am with the podcast. Like we get so many um, people talking about them, recommending them naturally that 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 does more promotion than me being on Instagram, being like, listen to this or do whatever. Yeah, it genuinely does. Yeah. For starters, because you're, you know, uh, <laughs> you're a biased voice. Exactly. <laughs> but I've noticed as well when like I, when I'm there and I'm promoting it, it'll, it'll have like two or three likes or something. But when somebody else says it, it'll get loads. But obviously, <laughs> because everything is so transparent. And I think we live in this really weird world where there's these new rules for social interaction. Yeah. Be created because of online behaviors where like, you know, people pretend to see things or not see things it's really weird I know I was about to say people kind of like they kind of pre-search each other it's like research yeah. but that you do it ahead of seeing someone just in a social context exactly. you're like I'm going to see so-and-so tonight I better watch their stories what yeah. are you saying or like you <laughs> brain up, there was I, I met friends recently um at a wedding that I hadn't seen honest gods in school and it was just like the conversation continued as if it was just as if we'd seen each other every week yeah I was like because there had been this online connection yeah. that just never translated into actual <laughs> offline meetups and even when um Ruth was downstairs and Emma was there and Ruth walked in and you were like have they met before and I was like no but Emma has Emma sends me things from your Instagram all the time <laughs> so like let's just not pretend that we don't have this kind of like extra interaction thing but at the same time when you need to calm all that down crafting is the way to do it but I think it's funny because I've definitely I just even in writing around this space in the last couple of years noticed that there's like a real kind of craving for analog yeah and it's it runs like through a lot of different things beyond just even like say crafting which is more of a kind of uh you know relaxation activity or whatever yeah but like say like the big return to bullet journaling or Mm. like well it's not a a return to bullet journaling bullet journaling was born out of people like kind of getting fed up of like apps for their diaries on their phones and bullet journaling is now massive if you look at it as like look at the hashtag on instagram there's just like pages and pages of beautiful um you know, daily planners that people are like ba- essentially crafting yeah. into kind of objects that of like, you because know, it's, art. it's yeah. And it's a time to sit down and like break down your thoughts and put them somewhere. Like mm. just actually like whether you're knitting them or, or putting them somewhere, it's just like letting them out of your mind through your body, whether that's writing or whatever. Mm. It's just like getting out of them, you know. It's um, like a kind of a reaction to efficiency. Yeah. Where efficiency has overtaken us completely and moved way beyond us now that we're where we're at a point now where we can't keep up with our own kind of efficiency. If you yeah, know what well I mean. we were never built to, <laughs> to, to have access to all of the information in the world. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's almost like it's it's, um, you know, there was such pleasure in ignorance before where oh you could just be like yeah. oh, I didn't know about that didn't you know, know about but so like much. it's kind of you know when you really want to go down a dark anxiety spiral it's like well how can you live your life when you know about all of the badness in the world <laughs> at any one time because you've got twitter like you know you you wake up in the morning and you're hit with every bit of news instantly it's like obviously that's going to impact your day but the thing is that like we when we look at internet trends and internet behaviors there's these massive periods of culture and anti-culture and right now we're at the kind of like year two year three into a period of anti-culture so culture for the previous 10 years had been sharing um you know facebook heavy a lot of people online social networking all that kind of stuff and then it gets to a stage where you might have and i say i decided to delete my instagram i deleted my facebook ages ago i know you were never big on facebook anyway but you feel like you're ready for a break and you step away from it yeah 
but actually everybody is doing that because it's a reaction to the culture that has gone before. Yeah. So you'll see this like osmosis of people moving away and you can see it in the trends of behaviors and the, the user behaviors and users of most online platforms like Facebook now is struggling because the biggest proportion of its users are over the age of 65 who were the slower people to adapt to online um, social networking to begin with. Um, and then we see like young people kind of going on to TikTok and Snapchat where it's real, um, you know, it's that kind of short form uh, 24 hour content. I know TikTok can be longer or whatever, but it's just sharing everything in the short form. Mm. And like in the previous period of culture, that's when we had like, Videos had to be less than 60 seconds. Articles had to be 300 to 600 words. No one was going to watch a video. No one would sit down and listen to a podcast I know, for an podcasting hour. booked every kind of um, school of thought about exactly. online behaviors. But if you, if you had monitored the trends and studied the trends, you would have known that that was coming. And like, it's, it's coming and we're in it now. And that's where there's a return to long form. There's a return to the slow read. And there's a, a massive... Um, a massive growing interest in podcasts because people want to be able to access information but not be totally connected all the time. So it's a much nicer period to be in, but mm. there's still obviously that connected um, element of stuff. So it's kind of, I think that, yeah, we, we're just in that anti-culture period right now. Which, which is funny because anti-culture sounds like a kind of... Uh I don't know, like a kind of a Trump vibe. But it sounds like it's... <laughs> Where it is, it's actually quite positive. Yeah, no, it's just a reaction to what has gone before. Mm. And like, you know, you can call it it's peaks and troughs or whatever. It's changing behaviors and all that kind of stuff. But the important thing to remember is that like, if you're feeling like this, the chances are that there's an osmosis of other people feeling like it. So, you know, if you are feeling incredibly anxious about being on all the time, being available all the time, stopping isn't going to be abnormal you know yeah turning around and saying I can't do this I don't want or it's enough to say I don't want to do this it doesn't have to be the point where you're reaching burnout and saying I cannot be available all the time taking a step back and saying you know what actually it's totally within reason or within my rights to say that I just don't want to be contacted in the afternoons I thought um, or the mornings or Monday to <laughs> or Friday even just nine to five <laughs> I thought uh, Aoife McElwain's book Slow at Work was very interesting yeah. on this and she was quite pressing with that because it was out a few years mm. ago but she's actually recently done an audiobook version uh, I must find out if it is available I'll include the link in the show notes because she talked to all kinds of people who kind of have adopted a very different approach. They yeah. were probably the kind of early adopters of this wave of anti-culture. Yeah. And the other book I wanted to kind of shout out about was Sarah Baum's Handiwork, which um, I just finished and passed straight to you because I said crafters everywhere would love this book. But also it's a very kind of calm read and it's a very kind of, I don't know, it's like a real meditative, meditative kind of yeah. read. And I liked her kind of uh, interrogating the idea of craft and its place and its purpose, because it's always existed as uh, being seen to be separate to art, for example. Yeah. And I think from what we're both talking about, I wanted to ask you this question, because um, reading Sarah on her craft work and what she kind of how it like has a place in her life was that her crafting seems to be very um, method focused and not too much about production, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, are you a kind of a process crafter or are you a product crafter? No, definitely process. Because so I'll it's have... the actual act of doing. Because yeah. I'll unravel things to just do them again. Yeah. To just yeah, have something same. to do. And I'll start things in different colors, but I'll pick up a ball. I'll pick up whatever is handiest to me. So like I have... Mm. A million. My, 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 when I started to crochet, one of the first projects that I took up was um, the hat that's on Rogue. Because uh, it's a really, really simple pattern. It's the same stitch over and over again, but just only uh, crocheting into the back row gives you this lovely ribbed hat. Mm. Um, and I must have made, I swear to God, about 30 of those hats. I just started like and yet, dishing them out to people, I just don't have but like one. there, it's crazy. there's so many that so are so many of her started hats in the and world. finished. <laughs> I have a yellow one actually that I will, I think, would be great on you. I'd love that. Um, I have so many that I've started and just not finished the last step because really the being in it when you're like halfway through when you've 
kind of got that's the, the optimum moment that's, yeah. of every craft project. You, yeah, and that's you know something Sarah pointed out too. And I thought that's amazing. I've never thought of it that way. But there is an anxiety in finishing the craft project. Yeah, or just like <laughs> oh, I've gotten like now I have I've to done find the next. Like thing. I've done my flow. I've done my yoga. Like it's you know I don't need to just tie it up and put a bobbin on it. But like <laughs> yeah. you know I I do. And there's a, a great joy as well that I've experienced in crafting is gifting them to other people. Now probably in an annoying way because like. <laughs> I'm forever giving my friends hats and stuff uh, and uh, the earlier iterations of them probably weren't great. And I was like, here's this thing I've made you. <laughs> Would you like Use this it every misshapen, day. lumpy yeah. garment? And I went through this um, this period of like macrame bunting that one of my friends was like, I just, I'm just, I'm not big on it. Like, I'm just, she's <laughs> like, make me some snowflakes or like little uh, Christmas tree decorations. Something Instagrammable, please, Cathy. Yeah. I mean, they're all Instagram, but some people don't want macrame all over their home and some people don't want hand. Um, hand crocheted hats on their heads um, of alpaca wool it's very warm those people also. are wrong um, but yeah and, and seeing there is that joy of seeing people use the things that you make them though like Jen O'Dwyer who has not taken that hat off her stinky 99% rotten head in <laughs> I don't know how long um, but yeah there's there's that kind of element to it and I think that I think as well my projects there's something endearing about them yeah because they're not they're wonky yeah, they're not fuck. perfect I made a cover for a um, a little stool in my house and like Seb calls it the the tea cozy because it looks yeah, like but somebody just huge. lowered a large tea There's cozy. this one particular woman who I, and this is like my, my YouTube recommends now is DIY and craft heavy. Oh yeah. And um, there's this lovely woman and who at the end of her videos, she says, we love our stitches and stitch our love. And I'm like, yeah, we do. We oh. do. <laughs> um, so there's that. And I think that the, the thing about crafting is it, it brings back that element of human connection because also mm. it's a niche interest as well. But like you light up when you talk to somebody else, if you have a mutual craft. Oh, you my know? God. Yeah. Or if you see someone like crafting when you're a crafter yeah it's, it's just a, it's like, a really nice thing there's a creep drive listener who knits at our shows and yeah. hey gal you know it's <laughs> I just, follow her on instagram we chat now but it's just all that kind of stuff is lovely and especially because i think a lot of people young crafters and young knitters and stuff are doing it probably for the same reason it is a bit of calming that anxiety thing mm. so it's nice to have that um that bring back that human element and that human connection um and you know sharing recommendations like I have a couple of friends who are like big crocheters are like sending you know them pictures of projects and them sending you back pictures of projects or I must get your pattern for that or totally. same with cooking and, and baking and all that kind of stuff yeah myself and Sarah Griffin it's a pure and, enthusiasm you know? yeah and like there's just that kind of oh it's so nice you know and it's so nice and sometimes the the things that you make or the things that you bake are far nicer than what you would buy. Like I am taking Sarah Griffin on this very important bread journey right now and teaching her the value of fresh yeast over, you know, dry yeast. And it's just a beautiful little journey. That's I'm so supportive of that. You guys have fun. Thank you. Don't forget to come back. I want someone to come on my knitting journey with me. I'm going to try. I have catching up to do. Like I've got my <laughs> I've got my starter needles and I've got some just like practice wool. So as soon as I've caught up and learned the stitches, I will um, I'll hit you up for some patterns. I'm going to I definitely want to give you a pattern for your DIY column soon. Like do, I'm yeah. knitting some woolly socks, like house Excellent. socks. They're a really good project. Yeah, I have I have lined up some DIYs. My next one is probably embroidery heavy, um, but there's a nice little meaning in it. It's like stitching your little your little pals into. I'm gonna make yeah. little um. Love our stitches, stitch our love. We love our stitches and stitch our love. I'm working on some iron-on embroidery patches for your, that you can just iron onto your clothes. Nice. Yeah, or your denim jacket or your bag or whatever it is. I cannot wait. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. All right, it's the bed in or bin it stage of the podcast. I have a bet in. I actually wondered if you were going to um, suggest the same bet in this week. Did you see the um, New Yorker interview with Fiona Apple that came out this week? No. Okay, now, look. This is an interesting one. Fiona Apple, I think, is the kind of artist who you could go years without speaking about her to anyone, but you'd be thinking about her all the time. And then you might mention her to someone and discover that they too 
think of her all the time. And they, I don't know, she's just someone that I think you either literally are like Fiona who, or you're devoted and obsessed. I fall into the latter category. I remember her from I am our devoted and obsessed. Years. Sort of waifish yes. songstress. Oh yeah, totally. Like she, her first album title came out when we were like, I want to say 15 maybe. And she was, well, actually maybe we were a bit younger because she was only about 19 when um, she brought it out. And um, it's uh, an absolutely gorgeous album. But I think even more so, it was just like unbelievable work of maturity and insight and like and musicality and all created by this like incredible 19 year old woman and uh she was very like ah oh, she seemed really uh, to me at the time just like this amazing real like very real and authentic rebel because like imagine then like mid 90s we had the kind of Britpop explosion we had the kind of ladette thing happening in the UK of kind of just girls being one of the boys and like the whole girl power thing and and like the kind of weird kind of commodification of girl power. Like I love the Spice Girls, uh, but like it has to be acknowledged that like some of their sort of some of them were quite some of their buzz was pretty manufactured by men. Do you know the way? Now, not to denigrate them because I actually fucking love them and I do think they did so much for us as young women growing up. But then we just over on the other side of things had suddenly this woman, Fiona Apple, she was like a kind of like she looked like a kind of a wandering waif lost in um, a Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale. And she just had these amazing songs and this amazing music. And then I just think her career since has just been like just wild like she she makes these really singular albums that don't sound like each other but they so are her she I think just has like roundly rejected so much of the kind of pop music bullshit like she just seems to exist in a, in a completely separate realm to it she yes. like has been so kind of like she seems she's been quite like autobiographical in her music about like her work and like shit things happening to her like she was raped at a young age and she like wrote songs about it and like it just was something that we weren't getting from virtually anywhere at the time do you know and uh and she was just so utterly like like not even no fucks to give because I just feel like it would never occur to Fiona Apple to give a fuck at all like do you know what I mean <laughs> Um, and she just I think she was just like a real rebel. And anyway, the New Yorker has done this um, profile with her um, called Fiona Apple's Art of Radical Sensitivity. And like it's just a really brilliant long read profile because she's just kind of um, put out a new album. And uh, it's a great profile. One of the absolute highlights for me was her describing um getting off cocaine so she had like um a cocaine addiction and she talks about one of the last nights on coke that she was with um Quentin Tarantino and like the whole experience just put her off coke so much that she actually managed to get over her addiction issues purely by the fact of Quentin Tarantino being I presume the most annoying man in the world then add coke yeah. then add coke to yourself and then be stuck alone with him so i just enjoyed that whole scene a lot a rec my recommendation for this week is i'm not okay with this netflix series so it's a comic book series it's got a an amazing actress sophia lillis you might recognize her from the latest it movie she plays kind of a younger version of one of the leads when they do um, throwback parts, I think. But uh, she was brilliant. It is brilliant. It should have been probably just a film, but they've broken it into seven or eight 20-minute slots, which mm. is kind of satisfying in, you know, in its shortness. But it sort of always leaves you a bit wanting to just finish the fucking movie instead of continuing. Did you just watching. roll it into itself and just watch it in one sitting? 
No, I watched about three episodes a night. Ah. But I it's like still it. like, yeah, it was Devoured. good. It was good. It, it was nice. It'll kind of take you out of your head. And it's, she's, has, it's yeah. like superpowers coming of age kind of vibes. It's a coming of age. It's got sort of Matilda-esque vibes in it with kind of more darkness. But I really okay. enjoyed it. It is kind of like a dark Matilda story. I like with it. With death. Uh, so one of the creators is the guy who, uh, who made The End of the Fucking World, which mm. I loved. Um, and that's on Netflix as well. And it has a nice kind of um, sort of stylized feel to it. There's a lot of that going on at the moment. It's a lot of like yeah. stuff that seems to be set in contemporary times, but just looks so much prettier. <laughs> like sex yeah, education. It is, it is that. It's like that late 70s styling with all the old cars, the old kind of interiors. And then mm. everyone has an iPhone. Yeah. I want to live in those it's, worlds. Oh, yeah. I think we're trying to get there, aren't we? With our sort of mid-century <laughs> furniture jags and our, I don't know. I don't know where we're going anymore. This is it. It's, this could it's be the, the end, end of the, the fucking, fucking world. world. <laughs> Speaking of, I have a put in the bin. I don't know do why tell. I do these things, but I opted to watch Pandemic on Netflix this week, or rather just the first uh, very lengthy episode. And why? frankly, what part of look, you? The stupid part that thinks that Argentina is in Europe to the left of Canada. But you know what? It was a terrible idea, but not in the way that I expected, because I... I said it to Seb and he was like, oh, for fuck's sake, I'll be dealing with the apocalyptic anxiety fallout of this um, Netflix decision, Sophie. And then I was actually just really bored by it because like it was just like watching the news or listening to the radio now. It, it was like, it's like really fascinating, though. It is interesting because it definitely explained some very basic shit to me that I probably should have known, such as that 50 million people died at the end of World War Two. No, one um, from the Spanish flu epidemic. But it did also just bore me, like, because we're just ingesting this stuff 24-7 at the moment. And yeah. uh, so it was just, um, like, if I'd watched it about three months ago, I would have been like, oh, my God, this is terrifying. But because I'm watching it from inside the pandemic, I was just a bit like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So, I mean, it was certainly interesting because it was interesting Another real basic one that had completely passed me by, I am embarrassed by myself, was I didn't know that the flu vaccines had to be updated every season. Yes, to, um, yes, you get a different vaccine keep, every, every winter Yeah, season. to stay mm. up to speed with what the flu's... I mean, the flu is a wily fucker. I mean, what? Didn't know. I think, I mean, one of the biggest hardships has been trying to change the name halfway through the pandemic. I, I mean, did we need that? Did we? They Could, could they have just stuck with the original one? I don't know, because some people, like even in this podcast, we've been saying Corona. I just for I the know. first time said COVID-19. I don't I've know. had Make my Sharona, my Sharona in my head for months now. And like that song needs to be put in the bin. It's actually very problematic. No, it's brilliant. It is Have you ever listened now? to yes, any yes, of the lyrics? It's a lot of teen girl chasing. Oh, my it? little pretty one. Mm. Oh, you make my motor run. Never oh, going to stop. Give it up. Such a dirty mind. Oh, for yeah. the touch of the younger kind. No. Absolutely dice. gross. That is gross. Knack. You're disgusting. Put your knacks away. You're g- g- gross. Now, you're meanwhile, COVID-19, on the other hand, I'm just hearing in the tune of Come On Eileen, thanks to some lad on Twitter who tweeted that a few days ago. COVID-19, do, 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 cause you're dirty. Oh, COVID-19. I mean, he actually, he, I would say that Twitter, that Twitter user is worse than patient zero in my mind. Like you could have kept that to yourself. I am also reading Marion Keys at the moment, which is a massively COVID-19 on brand activity. If you want to visit with a world that resembles the one we remember from times past, go and read anything from the Keys canon. 
I'm reading her new one, which is called Grown Ups. And uh, it's real satisfying. It's like deliciously satisfying. It's, it's about rich people, um, which I enjoy a lot. I like being rich person. Irish adjacent. Myself. Yes. Yeah. So they're very recognizable. It's like a very kind of it's a big family and all the uh, different family people are all they're kind of at the mercy of this kind of the head of the family, which is one of the brother's wives. And she's really rich. She got rich from like starting a kind of a Fallon and Burns style um, supermarket. Brilliant. Making you nostalgic now for the pre-dystopia. I'm also reading Station Eleven as recommended by Emer McLeisett, uh, which is mm-hmm. the complete fucking opposite because it's about um, a big uh, apocalyptic disaster redo. So I'm not, I'm actually just, I've just given the worst ever synopsis of what Station Eleven is about. <laughs> uh, apocalyptic, which? It's literally about a flu that's devastating the world. Like, like, why did I give it such a bad synopsis? So it's again, probably similar problem to Pandemic on Netflix. It's just a bit too close to reality, but I am enjoying it. Okay. Oh, good. Well, that's it for this go. week. Thank you for joining us. Hopefully, we'll see you again next week. If you are looking for more entertainment this Sunday, why not head on over to roguecollective.ie? In this week's issue, we have got a beautiful extract from Hilary Fannin's novel, The Weight of Love. Uh, We also have um, a roundup of comforting activities to indulge in during these strange days. And our own Fanula Jones attended a consent workshop and reports back. 